so this evening, uh, we are going to be in Acts chapters 23 through 26. Uh, we are in four chapters, which is a lot to cover, uh, but don't worry, we'll be starting hitting the highlight reel. Uh, but as we're walking through the book of Acts, uh, I don't know if you realize this, but we are coming to the end of the semester, which means we are coming to the end of the book. Uh, I know the journey has been long. We started last fall. We've been walking through, looking at the early church and early missionaries. Uh, but this evening, specifically in 23 through 26, what we see is almost the end of Paul's journey, the Apostle Paul. Uh, we see him come to a place where he's being put on trial and he's being passed from ruler to ruler. He's going to multiple trials uh, with different governors and kings and stuff like that. Uh, and he's being put on trial for false accusations. Uh, but eventually this sort of whole process uh, ends in his death. So we are, we are at the beginning of the end of the life of a, the Apostle Paul. Uh, so look at chapter 23, verse 10. This is right after uh, his first trial. And it says this, And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. And the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we come to you as broken people. God, we recognize that uh, this world that we are in the midst of uh, is sinking sand. That, God, everything is so temporary. uh, That everything is so fleeting. Lord, we just pray that we would remember to rely on you. That, God, we would remember to make you our focus. Because, God, we know that you are eternal. That, God, you are the most important thing in existence. So God, we just pray that we would always keep that in mind. God, in whatever we do. Lord, we pray that this evening, especially that you would be calming our hearts, that God, you would be shutting out the distractions, that God, you would help us just hone in on you and what you, ha- what you would tell us through your word. So God, again, thank you for this evening. God, thank you for this opportunity to just step away from the rest of our lives and focus on you. God, we pray that you would use it powerfully. We pray this all in your will. Amen. Well, recently, there was a woman in Florida, and her name was Hersha. And Hersha uh, was very, very upset. Uh, she's seen here in this photo, uh, which some of you may recognize as a mugshot because you have a sketchy past. And basically, Hersha uh, is very upset because... Uh, one, she's in prison, obviously, because she's a mugshot. But two, because this is following a very intense night for Hersha. Uh, you see, Hersha finished up work late in the night. She went home about 1 a.m. And all she wanted was to eat some thin mint cookies, some thin mint Girl Scout cookies. And she goes to her pantry, takes out the box, looks inside, and discovers that they're all gone. She discovered that someone had eaten all of her thin mints. And Hersha... Uh, didn't have to do too much, detec- too much detective work because she only lived with one roommate, a girl named Jasmine, seen here. And you see, Jasmine uh, was sleeping at the time, and so Hersha went to Jasmine's room, and she started to confront her. And she started talking to her, uh, you know, accusing her of stealing her Thin Mint cookies, which she really desperately loved. And so they got into an argument, and then according to the police report, 
As soon as they had this argument, uh, Hersha began chasing her around uh, with scissors while threatening her. She hit Jasmine on the head with a wooden board because (laughs) that's just in a house, I guess. And she bit Jasmine. She bit her uh, all over the place. So uh, when we see this, right, when we see Hersha attacking Jasmine, right, when we hear stories like this, uh, sometimes it's a little shocking, right? Sometimes we hear these sorts of things and just kind of, whoa, like it throws us back and we wonder, how could those people really get that mad, right? Like it's just, it's just them and cookies, you know? They're, they go on sale every spring. It's like $4 for a box. Come on, Hersha. But the thing is, is that a lot of times, man, we get so riled up, we get so upset about the things in our lives that we just explode, right? A lot of times we can just be walking down the street, something minor happens, uh, and maybe you just had a really bad day or something, you know, your week just hasn't been going right, and you just, you just explode. And the problem is that in our world, we are surrounded by a bunch of people that are just constantly on the verge of exploding, always. And as we go through our culture, as we walk into our world, man, what we realize is that the people around us are just constantly on this brink because they've taken two ideas and lifted them far above everything else. And they worship two main philosophical ideas, one of which is individualism, right? Which means that uh, you are the most important person. I am the most important person in the room. I am just, I am so valuable, I, everything just kind of revolves around me. I, the individual, am most important. But, but the world also takes the idea of relativism. It takes this idea that anything goes, basically, that there's no absolute right or wrong. There's no absolute law. You can't really tell anyone else what to do. Uh, instead, it's just whatever you want. And so when we've taken these ideas of individualism and relativism and mashed them together, what we've done is we've created a bunch of people that think the world revolves around them and that nothing that they do is wrong. And basically, we've created a bunch of gods. Uh, because when you are all-powerful and there's no, you, you are above wrong, then you are, basically, you are God, right? And so the problem with that is that we have all of these little gods, these individual gods, that suddenly discover that there's another God in the universe, right? Suddenly you walk into class and you're like, oh my gosh, there's like a hundred other gods in here. What's going on, right? And so suddenly you begin interacting with these other gods and you discover that these gods have created different rules for their universes, right? You've discovered that they kind of operate in a different way. And so because of that, uh, you have these people that just start to clash and friction starts to build up until eventually you have all these people that get so upset at each other and yet they don't know how to resolve it. Because if I think, oh, I really want to eat my Thin Mints, and I go home and discover they're gone, only to find out that my roommate had eaten them, well, if I'm holding to individualism, then I deserve it, but so does my roommate, right? Because he's also super duper important. But I can't claim right to them because everything's relative. And so there's no right or wrong. There's really no personal property or anything like that. And so because of that, we just have these people that are confused, right, and mixed up, and our culture just gets mad. And our culture gets so angry and it just doesn't really know how to cope. And suddenly, when a Christian walks into that, man, they're just a, they're a spark. They're a spark in the midst of this explosive environment. Because as we talked about a few weeks ago, the best tool that a Christian has for presenting the gospel with the world around them is their testimony, right? Their own personal story. The best way that I can share God with the rest of the world is to go out and tell someone about how I realized that I was a sinner, about these things that I was doing that were wrong. And yet in the midst of that sin, I I realized 
that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for those sins. And that when Jesus Christ rose again, he proved his power, his victory over sin and over death. And so when I realized that, I, I put my faith in him, right? I trusted in Christ. I asked God for the forgiveness available, that, just that free gift. And when I received that, my life changed, right? I began to see things differently. I began to have different uh, motivations, uh, different desires. I became a new creation in Christ. And as soon as that happened, right? As soon as I take that story and I share it with the world around me, it's a spark because the people around me, they don't want to believe that, right? They believe that I am the individual. I, everything is relative. I, I am, you know, the most important thing ever. But yet here I am, a Christian, talking about an absolute God with an absolute law, with a right and a wrong. A God who is so jealous that he doesn't want any other gods before him. He doesn't want anything else above him. He says that nothing else deserves the glory that he deserves. Because he is the creator over this creation. And so when I, a Christian, tell that story, I should not be surprised when people attack me, when people lash back. Because my culture, man, they don't want to believe that. They've got their kind of way, and sure, it can cause a lot of friction, but ah, whatever, they'll just deal with it because it's what they think is best. But when confronted with the truth of Christianity, people just, they lose it. They go crazy. And so when I am sharing that and when people attack me and persecute me, I, I shouldn't be surprised. I really shouldn't. The world is going to attack me with the ferocity of a woman who's lost her thin mints because that's just going to happen. The world is going to bite me and hit me on the head with a board. Okay, that's just, that's where I'm headed. And what's interesting is that we see Paul walk through this exact same scenario. We see Paul go through this exact same situation. In chapter 23, as I said, he begins this trial process. And basically what it starts out with is just Paul being Paul, just Paul telling the truth of the gospel. And as soon as he does that, in the midst of a culture that says that anything goes, you couldn't find a more permissive, easygoing culture than ancient Rome. When all these people were saying, yeah, you know, you can have whatever religion you want. Just let the, let the government know about it, right? They were all about respecting the rights of the citizen. That's what Rome was founded on. And yet in the midst of that culture, Paul shares the story of Christ and he gets attacked. He gets slapped, beaten, threatened, yelled at, put on trial, thrown in prison. All these things happened to him because he had... Just the, the dare to share the story of Christ in that culture. So what we need to realize is that Paul was able to handle that a lot better than many of us have. Uh, I know I personally have not handled persecution well all the time in my life. That's just one of the things that I've done. But when I see Paul, man, he does everything so well. And it's because he holds to four truths. Paul kind of grabs a hold of four lifelines. Paul in the midst of this persecution, knew his God. Paul knew his scripture. He knew his place. And he knew his mission. These are the things that Paul held on to. These are the things that anchored him in the midst of that persecution. What I want to do this evening is just have us walk through these things, walk through these points, and hopefully give you some anchors, give you some lifelines, give you some pieces to hold on to in the midst of the persecution that if you're not facing right now, you will face soon, right? Because our culture is exploding. Right now, our culture is up in arms about what issue? Gay marriage. 
Everyone's losing their minds because they don't know what to do about it, Christians and non-Christians. People are yelling and getting into these big fights, right? You go on Facebook and you just see like comment after comment after comment under like one post that someone was just like, I had a great day today. And everyone's like, what do you mean you hate grammar? Ah!" And it just like goes nuts, right? Because everyone's just, oh, everyone's just ready to blow. And so suddenly when we are in the midst of this culture, we need to realize that, you know what? Right now that's the issue. That's the thing that everyone's kind of hammering about and everyone's talking about the Aggie Senate, right? Tried to uh, have everyone opt out of it at at A&M, but then the president vetoed it, right? Our our government is in shambles at A&M, right? But we've got these things happening. And I promise you though, as as soon as these things die down, because it will, uh, these things, they just kind of, they bubble up and then they kind of fall down. Uh, But another issue will come up because it's just issue after issue because our culture is always looking for something. Because Christianity, man, we just, we don't fit with culture. We don't. And we're not supposed to. That's why Paul tells us that we are in the world, not of the world. Right? We are missionaries. We are are citizens of heaven. We're just visitors here. So we shouldn't be surprised when this persecution comes. And when it does, God, scripture, place, mission. First of all, Paul knew his God, right? Look at, look at chapter 25, if you've got your Bible. Verse 11. It says this. If then I, being Paul, if then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Like I said, over these four chapters, Paul has literally already been slapped. Uh, he's already been lied to. He's been lied about. Uh, he's been thrown in prison, uh, chained up, uh, passed from ruler to ruler. He's been threatened. A uh, big group of guys all took this vow to not eat or, uh, like eat or drink anything until they killed Paul. Uh, and then they don't, so... I don't know how that turns out, but they eventually, you know, but he evades them and so he gets away. But all these crazy things are happening to Paul. And yet in the midst of it, what's wild to me is that we see Paul being so calm. In the midst of all this persecution, in the midst of all this crazy stuff, he stays so calm. Because even here he says, look, if you really want to kill me, if I've done anything wrong, if you just, if you really want to kill me, fine. So it's fine. I'm not seeking to escape death. I'll take it. Man, that is a man who is calm, right? That is a man who is confident in where he's standing. Which is really wild to me because, like, things make me not calm all the time, right? Things make me explode all the time. Minor things. For me, uh, when I am driving, especially with my wife in the car, because then I feel like I really need to do a good job, uh, sometimes people will, like, pull out on me, right? They, like, pull out really suddenly, or they, like, slow down or break suddenly. And in those, in those moments... Man, I just, ugh, like, I just get so mad. I think because it's like, that's my one outlet. Because I work with youth kids and you can't go, ah, at them or else your, their parents email you. And so I save it all up for when I'm encountering a bad driver. And so someone pulls out and I'm just, ah, I just flip out, right? At someone's grandmother, right? That's what I always try to remember. It's like, that's someone's grandma. Chill, right? Because I just get so mad. I just want to like drive up and like drive around them and just like stare at them. But then they look back and you're like, oh, uh, right. But there's that moment, right? Where you just, oh, and I get so mad at these people who barely inconvenience me, right? That's like, that's not even a blip on my radar. The fact that someone slows me down for like three seconds on my drive, on my like two minute drive home because it's college station, right? Like that's, that's what I get mad at. Paul is being threatened, right? Slapped in the face. And he's just like, 
whatever, man, it's cool. And th- that's, that's amazing to me. That is, that is convicting for me. That is motivating, right? I, I see Paul do this and I wonder, how does he do it, right? How is he so calm? And, and the secret, really, his trick is the fact that he knew that God was in control. He knew God had a plan. What we read at the very beginning of the service, the Lord stood by Paul and told him, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. God explicitly told Paul that he had a plan. And Paul said, awesome. And he held on to that plan. He rested on that plan. And so when the world gets really crazy around him, he doesn't freak out because he knew his God. He knew his God, and he trusted his God. When I uh, was in college, I had this one roommate, a guy named Todd, and Todd was a gymnast, and uh, one day he was doing some gymnastics, and he landed bad after doing this like super cow-sow flip thing, and he landed, and his knee just basically like exploded, just kind of, just like done, and he just collapsed. He had to go get surgery. I had to get all this like crazy stuff done. And he went into therapy afterwards. And as he's going through therapy, this is a huge process. The, the doctor told him, okay, look, this is what, this is what you need to do. All right? this, is, this is what's going to get you back to where you can function like a normal person. All right? Take this machine, go home, hook your leg up to it every day. He's like, all right. So this is this sled kind of machine he would hook his leg into. And basically what would happen is he'd put his leg into it. It looked kind of like a brace and it would just move his leg like this. Like, and it had this like whirring motor thing. And just over and over. But, but the trick was is that the therapist told him, all right, the thing is though that you have to do this for extended periods of time. So what I need you to do is hook your leg up to it uh, whenever you go to sleep. All right, so every night, for the next few months, Todd, you need to hook your leg into this thing that goes all night. Right? And I don't know if you've tried sleeping while like moving your arm like slowly all night, but it's incredibly difficult, right? Not only is there noise, but like there's this movement thing and it didn't even fit in his bed. So Todd had to set himself up on the couch in our living room, which we all thought was hilarious because what's better than a friend in pain, right? And so we saw him laying on this couch and he'd have to plug this machine to the wall. And so we started calling him Robo Todd because we were like, you're a robot now. And it's funny. It's like you're recharging your batteries. And he hated it so much. It was so funny. And so he would hook himself up to this every night. And he would just, it was this nice kind of peaceful no, white noise in the background of your room on the other side of the house where you just hear, you're like, ah, Robo Todd powering down for the evening because he would just sit there all night. And eventually, though, uh, that kind of wore on Todd, that wore on Robo Todd. His, uh, you know, he started breaking, his gears got a little slower. And so Robo Todd uh, started just kind of, he was really irritable during the day. And so we would tell him, we were like, look, Todd, dude, maybe just like take a few nights off, right? Like just sleep without it tonight, right? Because using that machine, he never got a good night's sleep. He was so not rested. It was unbelievable. And so we told him, look, just take a break. Just take off the week. I promise I won't tell your therapist, right? Like, it'll be okay. But I was like, no. He's like, no, does, does not compute, right? Because he's a robot. But he's, no, I can't, I can't do it, Jacob. Like, I got to use it. I got to use the machine. And so he stuck with it. And for a few months, he hooked his leg up to it every stinking night. And sure enough, uh, it worked. 
Man, it healed him. He eventually got to the point where now he can function like a normal robot, and it's awesome. And so because of that, though, he was able to stay the course because he knew that there was a plan, right? He didn't just hook himself up because he thought it was fun because he hated sleeping, right? He hooked himself up because he trusted in the plan that was given to him by the therapist. He knew that there was an end in sight, Paul has that confidence. Paul knows God has given me an end. God has given me a plan. I'm going to trust in it. I'm going to follow it. I'm not going to let these distractions take me to the side. And we can have that same confidence. We can have that because God has been so clear to us that he has a plan. That's why I wrote in Romans 8. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. That's why James tells us to count trials as joy because we know that God has a plan because we know that we are going somewhere, that God has things worked out, that we don't have to worry that, oh no, maybe, maybe God messed up this time. That's never our worry. We always know that there is a rhyme and reason to the craziness around us. So I would challenge you, do you trust God in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that persecution? Even when you're being attacked, maybe your family doesn't even understand your faith and they grill you on it every time you go home. Do you have faith that God is over that? That God is in control? Are you willing to trust in the plan that he has revealed to us? If not, man, I challenge you, pray to God. Ask him to give you peace in the midst of this broken world that will continue to break. If you know your God, it's, it's huge. You've got to know him and trust him in the midst of persecution. But more so than that, we also see Paul knowing his scripture. Chapter 24, verse 11, starts out like this. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. What Paul is saying is that he is confronting, basically this response is right after uh, the the Jewish leaders have been lying about him. Uh, The lawyers have been lying about what Paul did. Even the Roman officials lie to each other when they pass Paul down the line. Every time they kind of mix up the story and spin the truth a little bit. And over and over and over again, Paul takes those lies and he confronts them with truth. He stands firm in what he knew to be true. Because even in the midst of all that deception, he still was able to defend himself because he knew what was true. He knew what was written in God's word. He knew what the arguments were of his opponents. He was able to stand firm in the midst of those lies by just using truth. Uh, I have a niece who's almost two. Uh, Her name is Penelope, and she is super awesome. Uh, And one of my favorite things about Penelope is that she knows what she wants. And when she knows what she wants, she will let you know. And she will give you about two reasonable requests uh, before she flips out. And what I mean by that is if Penelope was with us right now, 
uh, imagine she's here in the crook of my arm, and there is a bottle of snacks right here, okay, Cheerios. And Penelope loves Cheerios, and so she would want the Cheerios. And she would let me know that by saying, Penelope, more. Okay, she calls herself Penelope, and she thinks that more is just like, gimme. So she would say, Penelope, more. And I, I would say, no, Penelope, no Cheerios right now. And she would say, hmm, Penelope, more, right? Maybe the second time I just ignore her. And so after the second time, Penelope uh, then decides, okay, I've given you, I've given you my best. I made an effort with this language thing, right? And so now I'm going to revert to what I know it works for me, which is uh, just cry and yell and gnash my teeth. And so Penelope uh, will then just sort of devolve into this, this mess of tears and just like, ah, like just ma, ma, just wring her hands and tear her clothes and put ash on her head and just, ah, ma, ma, right? And just flip out uh, because she wants these Cheerios so badly. And dang it, she asked me twice, right? That should be enough. But I still refuse to give them to her. So she's, ah, and the problem is that a lot of times we do that, right? A lot of times when we are confronted with a situation that we don't really like because someone is either confronting us or or attacking uh, our beliefs or or attacking whatever, and we hear them and we'll, we'll hear them out, right? For about a minute, right? Or a few minutes. We'll give them a few times, maybe a little bit of back and forth, a little bit of dialogue where they say, you know what, Jacob, I really, I think you smell uh, like an ostrich. And I'd be like, well, okay, you know, like, I respect that opinion. Ostriches smell really bad. I think you're overreacting. But, you know, like, I, and I would say, you know, I, I polled people earlier and they said, no, uh, I don't smell like an ostrich, right? And I would be reasonable for a little bit. But eventually, right, it gets to that point where eventually I just, I say, enough with rationality. I'm just going to cry and, like, attack you or, like, I don't know, run away. Like, I'm going to do something right? That, that really isn't reasonable. Uh, and a lot of times our discussions, that's what they turn into. They turn into these like crazy, like, wah, 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 like fist in the air and all this stuff, because we give rationality just a little bit of a chance. But when it doesn't work immediately, we say, ah, enough with that. I'm just going to get really emotional and cry at you. Like, that's how I'm going to convince you of this point, right? And the problem with that is that it, it doesn't work, right? Like, that's not an effective way to communicate dif- differing ideas, right? Like, that's not how you're going to really you know, get into the heart of a subject. And so Paul knew this. And so Paul was able to stay so calm. Paul was able to stay so clear. And even in the midst of these personal attacks against him, sometimes literally physical slaps in the mouth, he's able to stay calm and he just gives truth. And what's so sad is that a lot of times we are confronted with issues. We are persecuted in ways that people bring up, you know, differing opinions or they bring up, you know, like, things that they don't believe or the things that, why they think that you believe uh, something wrong and they bring up these attacks. And so many times we could respond so easily if we simply knew the, the information, right? If we simply knew the relevant information, if we knew the relevant scripture. But the sad thing is that a lot of times we don't. We can handle like those very clear cut issues, right? Like if someone says, hey, I don't know if murder is really that wrong, right? We can say, no. Murder is wrong. Pound it, Jesus. Right? Like, we, we would do that. Because we're like, yeah, you know, I can stand up for that. Right? Stealing? Uh, no way. Unless you're Aladdin and you're just getting bread. Right? Like, we have, we have those kind of levels where we can, we can handle these issues. But what happens when something trickier comes up? Right? A couple days ago, uh, I was leading Bible study for a group of high school guys. One of the dudes, uh, we were just kind of talking about random issues. And he was like, you know what? 
He's like, I'm not really sure if racism is a sin. I was like, well, it is, right? But I decided to, you know, pull my group. I was like, you know, hey, what do you, what do you guys think about that? Like, where in Scripture does it say that racism is wrong? And none of them could say. They didn't know. And I'd be willing to bet if I polled you guys. Maybe some of us wouldn't be able to think of a verse at all, right? We know. We're like, no, like, that's definitely wrong. And it is, right? I'm not, I'm not saying anything else. But the problem is that we can't always back that up, right? We don't always know the scripture about those things. What happens when someone comes up to you and says, you know what? I'm just really struggling. I don't know what a Christian's role is in, like, politics and government. Like, how does that really work? Like, should we be involved in that? Or should we just kind of stay away from it? There's scripture about that. Do you know it? When someone tells you, you know what, I don't really know what my stance is on marriage or how that works or if we should push our ideas on other people. There's scripture about that. Do you know it? If someone tells you, you know what, I think that the Old Testament God and the New Testament God are completely different. I can't really reconcile them. And so I think that really the, you know, that's, that's a big issue and maybe there's two gods and da, da, da. Can you address that? If someone tells you that, you know what, I don't think that Scripture is reliable. Uh, I think it's just a book like any other ancient document, and there's errors, and there's things that contradict each other, and there's all these wrong things. And I think that I can sit down with my Bible, pick certain things that I like and keep, and certain things that are totally wrong now, and I'll just throw those out. There are people at major churches in America right now who say that. And can you address that issue? Are you equipped to do that? Because I promise you, if you haven't been confronting these issues yet, you will. And Paul, in the midst of these confrontations, in the midst of these deceptions, and he was able to stand up for what he knew to be true because he'd been studying it for years. Right? For years. It's not like he was standing there and he's like, oh wait, what'd you say? Oh. And then he had to look up in his Bible, right? He just knew it. He knew it because he was a student of God's word because he knew his scripture so well. That's why uh, he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy, he's talking uh, to this guy named Timothy who he had discipled for years. And he was giving Timothy advice about what to expect in this new church that Timothy was in. And so he tells him in 2 Timothy 3, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, okay, meaning us, right, believers, Christians, all of those will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul's warning Timothy, look, there are lies and deceptions coming your way. You're going to be persecuted. All these terrible things are going to happen. You think it's bad right now? It's going to get worse, Timothy. That's what you can expect. And it's the same for us. We can expect persecution. We can expect false teachers. And when we are confronted with those things, we've got to take Paul's advice and continue in the truth that we've been taught. Continue in the truth that we know, that we've learned, that we've studied. That's why Paul tells us that basically we are incomplete without knowing Scripture. 
We have to know and train and study in order to be complete. So are you doing that? I would challenge you. Are you doing that? Are you reading your word? Are you studying? And it's a daunting task. Right? That's, that's, a big, that's a big goal. Right? And so I thought of just a few little helpful pieces. If that's you tonight and you're like, man, yeah, that's, that's what I should probably focus on. Here's a couple resources for you. Right? One of them is a free commentary online called soniclight.org. It's by a guy named Dr. Constable, an amazing man, great professor at a seminary up in Dallas. Uh, and Dr. Constable has written a commentary on the entire Bible, and it's free on Sonic Light. So if I were you, uh, maybe you are just you know, reading in whatever book you want, or you're reading through the Bible, or you have maybe a reading plan that you look up online, or maybe you go through the book of Romans. If you really want to hit a lot of relevant issues right now, read Romans with a commentary, with sonic light. Go through the book of Romans. Read the commentary at the same time. Figure that stuff out. Or maybe you're thinking, well, okay, you know, I got a lot of this homework right now, but right? like, I don't really want to go that route. Maybe if I could have something in bite-sized chunks. Well, for you, bite-sized chunk person, you should use gotquestions.org. This is a great website with a horrible name uh, that has basically been going on for a few years. And what they do is they uh, allow you to email in uh, any question you want about theology, morality, whatever. And they'll answer them. Uh, and every week they take one uh, and they kind of highlight, you know, this one big question every week. And they've been doing this for years. And so they have this huge repository. There's just literally hundreds and hundreds of questions that they've answered. All these great, great issues. And they give all of them an incredibly effective, concise answer, about a page each. They're almost these little mini articles on all these different issues. Stuff that you can think of, stuff that maybe you're struggling with, stuff you've probably never even thought of ever. All on this website. And it's great. Because we need to know Scripture, right? We've got to know God's Word. We've got to know Him, but we've got to know what He's written. We've got to know His truth. But more so than that, Paul also knew his place. Chapter 26, Paul is speaking uh, before Festus and uh, King Agrippa, and it says this, and he was saying these things in his defense. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Over and over again in Paul's trials, we see Paul using incredible humility, incredible love, that he's, he's answering people's questions, right? He's, he's confronting the issues presented. He's defending himself, but he does it all with such incredible humility, such a good attitude. And right here, what we see is he's even using people's correct titles, right? He says, most excellent Festus, right? He's not saying that sarcastically, like, oh, you're so excellent, Festus, right? He's not doing it like that. He's being sincere. He's using a, a proper title. He's addressing him with respect. And even right here at the end, I don't know if you caught it, but Paul makes basically a joke, right? He's making a semi-joke 
about his current situation. He's saying, look, I, I do want you to be a Christian. Right? He says, I wish everyone could be like me, meaning I wish everyone could be a Christian like me. Except for these chains, right? <laughs> Am I right? Yeah, come on. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's what he's doing. Like he's, he's chained up because he's a prisoner, because he's going to be killed. And he's like, <laughs> funny how that works, huh? <laughs> What's the deal with chains and prisons, right? Like he's, he's joking because he has such an amazing attitude about this whole situation. Because he's so humble. He's not getting prideful. He's not getting defensive. Man, a lot of times when we are confronted with persecution, we just, oh, like our, we just rile up, right? Like a cat, just the hairs standing up, and we arch our backs. We stick our tail out, right? Like we do those things, right? We get defensive. We want to fight back. We feel prideful, or, or we feel maybe sometimes we go the other way, right? And we get, we get ashamed. Someone says, well, I don't think you're right. And you're like, okay, you're right. I'm stupid, right? And we go the other way. And all those are incorrect responses, right? Like we shouldn't be prideful, but we also shouldn't be shamed. We need to be like Paul. We need to stand for what we know to be true, and we need to realize that there's nothing to get prideful about, right? That's how Paul was able to keep himself so humble. It was because he realized that nothing he did or said was important. He realized that nothing that he had was great compared to God because he knew his place. He knew that he was a slave of Christ. He knew that there was this God who had given him this amazing gift that Paul did not deserve in the least. And with that in mind, he was able to stay so humble He's able to keep his attitude so positive. That's why he tells the Philippians that, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul says, I had all these things, but they didn't even matter. And I lost all these things, but it didn't matter. Because the only thing that matters in my life is the fact that I know Jesus. That is it. So that's also why he tells the Corinthians that for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And I love this verse. Because Paul's basically saying, look, God has designed the world in this way. In his infinite wisdom, he's created this system where basically the world in and of itself is not going to know God. We can't understand God just completely on our own. That's why the scripture tells us that no one seeks God on their own. No one. But instead, God has spoken to us. That God has sought us out. And he's moved in our hearts. And he's taken some of these foolish people on the world. He's changed their lives made them new so that through their foolish words, they might convince a few more fools to turn to God. That's why I know that in nothing I say, that none of the examples I give, that no illustration I create matters. I know that nothing that I say, no, none of these points mean anything. None of these things are going to change the way that you think or the way that you act. I know that the only source of change in your life is God moving. Because of that, man, I'm humbled. I'm humbled when I stand up here. Because I know that I am inconsequential. I'm easily replaceable. Because it's God who's moving. Do you have that humility? Do you have that attitude? 
do you understand your place in the world, your position with Christ? Because until you understand who you are in Christ, it's so hard to tell the world about Christ. So check your pride. Maybe this week you need to really look at yourself and think about, okay, what, what am I doing? Am I debating people into becoming Christians? Am I trying to argue someone into believing in God? Because if you are, that is ineffective. That is not going to work. Instead, we should focus on our mission. Chapter 26, verse 22. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Over and over again in this process of trials and persecution, Paul brings his audience back to one point. That's the gospel. Over and over again. That's why if we are confronted with issues, right, we should, we should answer, right? We should give defense for attacks, right? Paul, he was accused of uh, defiling the temple and of stirring up crowds. And he just shut those both down. He said, no, you know, no, I wasn't doing that. No, like there's no evidence about this, right? He defended himself. But as soon as he did that, he moved on to the bigger issue, which was, Listen about Christ. Listen to hear what Christ did. That's why when you come here to Grace, if you come to the morning class or the evening class, you go to youth, you go to main service, you go to children's, doesn't matter. Every person who's teaching in those environments, every Sunday in every service will present the gospel. Because we know that there's no greater message. There's no other reason that we're standing here other than to lead people to Christ. That's our mission. We know that. But are you taking that mission and applying it in your life? As people are confronting you about problems, right? Maybe they have a theological issue that they raise with you. Or maybe they just have a, have a problem with the way that you're living or the way that you're talking or the, the thing that you believe. As they're confronting you about those issues, as you're being attacked, are you remembering, you know what? I can address this, but there's a deeper issue. There's a bigger problem. This is a symptom. This is not the disease. The disease, the source of this, con- this confusion, the source of this conflict is that this person that I'm talking to doesn't know Christ. That's what needs to be addressed. I need to share the gospel with this person. I don't need to debate them or argue them to see my point of view. I need to show them Christ. And if we do that, God will move. That's why we're here. That's the folly of our preaching. So are you? Are you making that your mission? And I would challenge you this week, all right? This week, pick one. Just pick one. Seeing what Paul did, seeing how Paul confronted persecution, how he stood in the midst of it, he held onto these four pillars. I would just challenge you, pick one for this week, right? Pick one that maybe you feel like you're weakest in. One that you know that you can be held accountable in. Maybe one that you're already working on. Maybe your faith in God. Maybe your knowledge of scripture. Maybe your, your humility. Maybe the fact that you don't know how to present the gospel. Right? Maybe you're off mission right now. I don't know. But pick one. Here in a moment, we're going to sing a few more worship songs. And I would just encourage you, take this moment. Be silent. And just talk with God. Be honest about where you are. 
about what you're struggling with on this list. And ask the Lord just to guide you and to, and to show you what you can focus on. Ask the Lord to empower you, to build yourself up in that area, to equip you to better trust him or to better know his word. Pray those things. Because if you do, man, you're so much more ready for persecution. That's gonna come. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth that you've put in your word. God, we thank you for the example of the lives of people like Paul. God, we pray that we would be able to stand firmly in the truth, just like Paul did. God, I know that some of us are being persecuted right now. That some of us are walking into hostile environments every day. And Lord, I just pray that we would be able to face them with the same love and kindness that Paul did. But that God, just like Paul, we would be able to turn them towards the gospel. That God, we would defend ourselves clearly, concisely. But that God, we would never lose sight of that mission. So if you would take this moment, ask God to show you what you can work on. Ask him to give you someone to keep you accountable in that area. That this wouldn't just be knowledge that you gained on Sunday, but that this would be life-changing and a life-changing event.